We're, we're going to stay in the chapter, chapter 6 of Luke this week. Uh, we were in it last week for Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. And after those interactions, he went off and uh, prayed and then selected 12 men to be his apostles out of the disciples. We often call the disciples uh, the 12, you know, Jesus' disciples. But the truth is, is that he had lots of disciples, but he selected 12 to be his apostles, to uh, carry his message and to go before him at times and to share with other people what Jesus was saying, to be his representatives and ambassadors. And it is in the context of having selected them and then having a bunch of people coming around him wanting to be healed that we are going to get into today's passage, which is the very beginning of what is called the Sermon on the Plain. And, and we have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through, uh, through 7. And the Sermon on the Plain, it, it's sometimes debated, is this two different times of teaching? Is this the same teaching, just regrouped and reorganized? Is it possible that the, the Sermon on the Mount as it's given in Matthew never really happened as that, that Matthew just compiled a bunch of Jesus' teachings and group them together. You know, there's all sorts of speculation. Uh, what we do know is that the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke does have Beatitudes, but not as many as Matthew. And it does deal with some of the themes as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew does, but not all of them. And so what we have are, are Matthew and Luke writing their own stories, their own uh, Gospel messages of Jesus' ministry, with their own motivations, their own agendas, you might say, uh, the purpose for why they are writing it. Luke is wanting to give a historical account to a, a Gentile believer. Matthew is wanting to make an argument uh, about Jesus coming and the, the Jews rejecting their Messiah. And, and so both come at it from a, a, a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, so we're going to see some of those themes that are similar in Matthew and in Luke, uh, but we're also going to get a different take on it because uh, Luke comes from it from a different perspective. He's a different person. Just like we all, as we read the Bible, we can oftentimes come at it from a different perspective or take away something out of it a little bit different because of our lives and our experiences. But Overwhelmingly, what, G, what, what Matthew and Luke are intent on giving us in these sermons and what Jesus was doing through these sermons is showing us how Jesus wanted us to live, challenging us to live in a way vastly different than the world lives and in a way different than we are used to living. And, and so in the context of he's got these disciples and now he's uh, selected some of them to be his apostles and he wants them to know what they are coming into, what they are up against. Jesus later on in Luke will tell people as far as coming to faith and following Jesus and being a disciple that you need to count the cost before you begin. Nobody, nobody decides to build a tower or a house without first thinking, what is it going to cost me? Anything, even a small project, we're going to stop and try to figure out just how much is this going to cost before I begin. And, and Jesus says the same is true for following Him, that we need to consider what is it going to take 
to follow Him. To live for Him. Because Jesus does call us to live for Him. He does call us to believe and to follow Him. But He also wants us to make an informed decision. Because it is not going to be easy. Because what we're going to see in here is that following Jesus brings suffering and blessings. And, and, and so often we want to focus on the blessings and we don't want to focus on the suffering. But Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to count the cost that if we're going to live for Him, it's going to bring suffering and blessings. They both come together. And, and so we're going to look at this in, in, in chapter 6, starting at verse 20. And let me show you what Jesus is, means by it. It brings both blessing or suffering and blessing. Uh, verse 20 tells us, uh, turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. The focus here is, first off, notice he's saying blessed are you. In, in Matthew, if you look over there, he says blessed are those. It's, it's kind of a third person thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But here, it's a direct, it's second person. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you uh, when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you. Why? For the sake of the Son of Man. He's letting them know what they can experience in life that that they are going to be poor in this world, that they are going to be hungry at times, that they are going to have reason to weep, and that men are going to hate them and ostracize them and insult them and, and even scorn their name as evil, saying they are really wicked and evil people. Why? Because they follow Jesus, the Son of Man. He, he's not saying it's okay that you're poor now, someday you're going to get you're going to get riches. No, he says, he says you're blessed today. The suffering that you experience as you walk with Jesus, as you follow Him, you are blessed today. Not someday you're going to get blessed. But you're blessed if you're going through that because not only are you experiencing that today, but He has greater hopes and plans for you in the future. He finishes the, the focus on them in verse 23. He says, be glad in that day. Be glad in the day that they're hating you and ostracizing you and insulting you and scoring your name as evil. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. In other words, that they should be like, like Paul. He was thankful that he could uh, be considered worthy to suffer on behalf of Jesus. The disciples praised God that they had been beaten and whipped and thrown into jail because they were participating in the sufferings of Christ. He says, be glad and leap for joy because your, your reward is great in heaven. 
For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. He, he's letting them know that the, the, the Israel uh, leaders, the Jewish leaders, are going to be doing this to them. It's not a Gentile thing. It's no, the people that you love, that are next to you, that, that you've looked up to, they are going to reject you. And they are going to treat you horribly just like they treated their fathers, treated the, the prophets before you. But, so, so it's kind of this idea of be glad because you're in good company. Be glad because that's the way they treated the prophets. Rejoice because, quite honestly, that's the way they're going to treat Jesus. And then there's the, the flip side to things in verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. So, so uh, first we have blessing, and this is something that Matthew doesn't have, is the woes that correspond with each of those blessings, each of the Beatitudes. Blessed if you're poor, woe to you if you're rich. Blessed if you're hungry, woe to you if you're well fed. Blessed if you weep, you're going to laugh, but woe to you if you're laughing right now because you're going to mourn and weep. Blessed if they mistreat you. Blessed if they treat you as evil. Blessed if they revile your name and ostracize you. But woe to you if men speak well of you. Everything that, that you would expect to be a blessing is a, a curse, and everything that we would think of as a bad thing to experience is a blessing. It's a good thing. And, and what we see here is a theme throughout Luke of this great reverse, a, a, a gospel theme, really, of a great reversal. That, that those who are, are well off by the world standards, those who are viewed as successful or as blessed, they're actually the ones that are going to suffer. And, and those who seem poor and those that seem like they are suffering, those that seem like they're not doing anything right, who believe in Jesus, they are going to see glory. And so there's this theme of, of a great reversal. And Jesus really wants us to understand when we're suffering, just because we're suffering doesn't mean we're outside of his, his purposes and his plan. In fact, if we're suffering, we may be very well in the, in the midst of His purposes and plans. What, what you need to watch out for is if you don't have any struggle in life, if you're well fed, if you're happy and you're joyful and you're rich and people are, people are praising you and they speak well of you, that's a dangerous place to be. Because that's what they're fathers did to the false prophets whereas whereas the true prophets they were uh, abused and killed and beaten and insulted the false prophets they were praised and, and so what what he's saying is we can't take our cues from the world we can't take our cues even from those around us because because they might say great things about us because they like what they're hearing. And, and what we're saying is false. We have to take our cues from God. We have to take our guidance from Scripture and, and, and not based on our circumstances, not based on 
what other people say about us, but on what God has said. And, and, and Jesus wants us to know that if we follow him, we're going to experience some suffering, but there is going to be blessing in that. There, there is great blessing, even as everything is falling apart. When you're following Jesus, you're still blessed. You still have joy. That's how Paul could be, Paul and Silas could be in the prison there and worshiping in, in Philippi and, and singing and be happy. Because even though everything seemed to be falling apart, they were following God. And so they were happy to be there. They were joyful. There is blessing when we follow him. But the, these, these four Beatitudes that Luke shares, and notice he only shares four, and he even rearranges the order compared to Matthew. You have the four Beatitudes and then the four woes. Their focus is that are all, you know, that the poor can come to Jesus and the, the, the hungry can come to Jesus and those who are mourning can come to Jesus. The idea is that these are descriptions of the same people. Those who follow Jesus. Those who are not focused on being rich in this world but are poor in this world because they're, they're focused and rich in heaven. Those that follow him, what they experience, the mistreatment of the world around them. And, and so the, the question for believers as we experience these situations that he says we are blessed, but the world would say we are cursed, is how do we respond? Uh, he says this is the way the, their fathers used to treat the prophets. How should we respond when men hate us, when people ostracize us, when people insult us and scorn our names as evil on behalf of the Son of Man, because we are living for Jesus. What is our proper way of responding? How do we live with this? And that's what Jesus is calling us to, that if we're going to live for Him, Jesus wants us to respond to evil with compassion. In, in Matthew, He says, you heard it was said, an eye for an eye. But that's not the way it's supposed to be for us. He wants us to respond to evil, not with evil, but with compassion. He wants us to know that as we're experiencing harsh uh, treatment and we are going through things of suffering, that especially as it is being brought to us by other people, His, his proper response and our proper response is compassion. And, and so He says in Verse 27, he continues the second person focus. But I say to you who hear, and, and that but is, is connecting it to the verse right before, which was talking about their fathers treated the false prophets in the same way. So in light of the whole, you're blessed if you're mistreated, woe to you if they love you, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. And that word love is, is, is agape, God's love for people. Agape love is the love that is uh, of reason. It's, uh, it's, it's a decision we make to treat people with favor, uh, to esteem them regardless of how they behave. It, it is not based on merit. It is not based on how they make us feel. It is solely based in our choice that we make and how we're going to treat them. He says, love your enemies. Literally, enemies are those who are hostile to you, those who hate you, or that you should 
properly hate because they're your enemies. But he says, love them. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Those that, would, that, that, that hate you, they detest you, they, they do not esteem you. They treat you in the exact opposite of how you've been called to treat them. They hate you, you're to love them. Those who are your enemies, and enemies are people who generally, genuinely are you know, trying to do bad things to you. He wants us to do good to them. To treat them rightly and nobly and honorably. He says uh, in verse 28, he continues this thought, bless those who curse you. Uh, a blessing is something we speak and it, 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 it improves a person's life. A curse is something spoken to take down your life. So it's the exact opposite is what he is calling us to. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. It literally, it's not just, and, and you got to understand, this is not a, oh, I'll pray for you. you know, Lord, fix that person. That's not the idea. Uh, to pray for them in this context, the word is prosukomai. It means to pray for and to pray toward. So it's not just a, a prayer, but it's, it's kind of the, it's the idea of an imprecatory prayer. You're praying to God for them. It's, it's for their benefit. Not change them. Because if I'm praying to God that He changes somebody, I'm praying for myself. This is to pray for them. That they would be blessed. That God would benefit them. That, that He would intercede on their behalf, not necessarily my behalf. So each one of these is, is an encouragement for us in how we respond to mistreatment. How do we respond to our enemies? Do we love them? How do we respond to those who hate us? Do we do good things for them? Do we do good for them and to them? How do we respond to those who curse us? Do we curse them back? Or do we bless them? I remember the first time I ever flicked a guy off as a kid. I didn't even know what it was. I got a spank for it too. That was my best friend stood in the yard. We'd had an argument or something. He stood in the yard and he raised his hand up at me with this part of his hand showing. And I saw what he did and I did the same back because you know he was doing it to me. I didn't know any better. And then he came back to the house and he ratted on me. And I got spanked for it. And I said, he, he, did this, he did it first, I did it because he did it. He said, no, I was saying this, you've got to deal with God. I said, it sure didn't look like that for me. <laughs> that is the base way we behave. I was six. You smack me, I'm going to smack you back. Nobody had to teach me that. What I had to be taught was when somebody curses you, bless them back. What I had to be taught was that when somebody hates you and does mean things to you, that you love them and you do good to them. I, I never... That didn't come natural, did it? We had to learn those behaviors. The, the I'm going to get you back. Well, that comes pretty natural. You know, 
Animals in the wild do that. You bite me, I'm going to bite you. What Jesus is calling us, though, is the focus is on these are people who are mistreating us. How do we respond to them? And, and what He wants us to do is, as we experience suffering, as we experience mistreatment by the hands of other people, that we do not respond in kind, but with compassion. That we, uh, as, as Jesus said when He is on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They're just going along with what comes natural to them. And it would help us to understand and to remember that those who commit evil in our lives, yeah, they, they know they're getting at us, but they don't know why they do it. They don't know what they're really doing, that they're not just against us, they're against God. He calls us to have compassion for those that treat us with evil and not to respond in the same way that they treat us but to respond as God has responded to us. That's what He's calling us to do here. He, he, and, and so, real quick, we're not talking about, as we get into this, about putting up with abuse. We're not talking about, sometimes these kind of passages have been misused. A person is in a dangerous relationship, they're being abused, and the answer is, is well, turn the other cheek. I, I, I no. I think we're misusing God's Word there if we're telling a woman when her husband hits her to turn the other cheek. It's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is when people mistreat us because of our following Jesus Christ and people mistreat us in the world and that evil comes against us, how do we respond in Christ? It is with compassion. Not, you hit me, I'll hit you back. And so, with compassion, we can have compassion for the evil person that hurts us and still get ourselves out of that situation. It is not line yourself up for more abuse. I just want to make that disclaimer. This is about how we respond, that we don't respond with curses to the person who's cursed us, but that we seek to bless, that we pray for them. Because he continues, the reason why I'm saying this is because in the next verse, 29, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And a lot of times we like to say, oh, well, this is just an insult. This is, this is, you know, that, no, he's, I mean, yes, it is insulting, but it could also be uh, they had different standards of what was permissible in their cultures at that time. And so even abuse would get, a, was allowed in their culture at that time. And so within that culture and that time, he's saying, if you're being mistreated and you've been hit on the one cheek, give him the other cheek as well. He says, whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. To, to, give away, to take away your coat was uh, something that could happen if you were so poor that you didn't have uh, finances and you did not have assets. Your coat was an asset. And so if somebody, if you, if somebody loaned you money as security, they could take your coat from you. Now in the, the Mosaic Law, they were supposed to give it back to you at night so that you could stay warm. But they could take your coat as security on the loan. And Jesus is saying, if somebody is doing they take your coat, give them your shirt too. Give them more than they are taking. And there's a, there's a thing going on uh, 
in this language. In verse 30, he continues uh, with this idea of give. Do not withhold your shirt from him either. Whoever takes, do not withhold. In verse 30, it says, give to everyone who asks of you. This is, this is a very broad statement. I don't like how broad Jesus is on this. But he's broad, and so we're going to have to live with it. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours. So first, if somebody asks you for something, give it to them. But then they don't even bother asking if they take it away from you. Do not demand it back. Literally, do not ask it back. So give everyone who asks, but when somebody takes from you, don't ask for them to give it back to you. Don't demand it back. In other words, He is calling us as we are dealing with the evil in the world, to not even stand up for ourselves in the sense of what would be considered to be right. But to accept the mistreatment. Now why would Jesus do that? Why would He tell us to accept mistreatment? Well, it gets back to me and my little friend when I was in first grade. See, as soon as I responded the way he responded, even though I thought I was well justified, he had, he had insulted me, I insulted him back with what he had done to me. Well, now who was wrong? Who got spanked? You know, it's like in sports. They always tell guys in, in football or basketball, never, never hit back because it's not the first guy that throws a punch that gets in trouble. It's the second guy. It's the guy that responds that the ref sees. And in a similar way, that is what Jesus is telling us, that He doesn't want us to respond to mistreatment even by what would be considered acceptable in the world. Because when we do that, what we are doing, going to end up doing is standing up for ourselves and bringing His name down. Even if it's what everybody else would accept within the world, when it comes to Christians doing it, it's a, it's a bridge too far all of a sudden. He would rather us suffer and He would rather us be mistreated and accept the mistreatment so that His name might be glorified that we would bear up under these struggles and sufferings. He, he has several times throughout the Gospel where Jesus tells us, hey, if you're on your way to court, settle. Don't argue your case. Settle. Get out of that situation. Accept it if they're mistreating you. Don't fight back. Even what would be considered acceptable to do. Don't fight back. He says uh, in verse 30, he said, uh, you know, he said, give to everyone who asks of you. Whatever, whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. And then in verse 31, he tells us, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. And I, I would say he is calling us to do far more than that. Because honestly, I don't know that I want people to treat me that way. I don't, I don't know that I want people if I misuse them or treat them badly, that they just give in and keep going. But I, I, I suppose what we do want is people not to retaliate against us. 
If you've mistreated somebody, wouldn't you like it if they forgave you and they prayed for you and they blessed you instead? You could bring, you know, they, 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 they could bring the hammer on you and instead they give you grace and they let you go. And that wouldn't that be how you would like to be treated when you've wronged somebody? And that's what Jesus is saying. He wants us to respond to evil with compassion, with forgiveness, with grace, with mercy. In verse 32, he gives us reasons for this. He actually explains to us where he's coming from in this. And he says, you know, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. It's the idea that porcupines can sleep in the same den together and they don't poke each other. Skunks have no problem being together. Okay? They can be nice to each other. They don't sit there spraying one another all the time because even skunks are going to be kind to other skunks and porcupines are going to be kind to other porcupines. If you love those who love you, if you love your family, and if you love those people that talk like you, or act like you, or look like you, what are you doing? That's what everybody does. Even sinners love sinners. He says in verse 33, if you do good to those who love you, so, so we've seen you know, love, and now we're talking about being good to, and, and those were the first two things, uh, Love your enemy, do good to those who hate you. So now we're looking at doing good. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. The same argument a second time, reinforcing the idea. Next, he says in verse uh, 34, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive. If, if you're going to lend some money to somebody this month, because A, I know I'm going to get it back, and B, if I ever need it, they're the person I'm going to go to for help. You know, I, I'll lend it to them because I know they would lend it to me. Have you ever said something like that? Oh, I'd know he'd do it for me. And that's our justification for why we do it. Jesus says, well, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Even, even drunks will lend to other drunks. Even thieves will help other thieves. That's not a big deal. No, but what he would call us to do is lend to somebody we don't even expect to receive it back from. That we would lend to people that we would never expect. If we went to them hat in hand, they would say, I'm sorry, I can't help you today. But that's what he, that's what he tells us to do. He says in verse 35, But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. So he's saying, not just to go to people that you know would never lend to you, but lend not even expecting them to pay you back. Now, the, the Jewish people, they were told not to lend to one another with interest. So, so it was one thing, you know, they, they would lend, say, $1,000, and it didn't matter how long it took for their, their brother to pay them back, they were only ever expected to pay him back the same amount, $1,000. In fact, as you, as you drive around um, 820 and 30 right there, you know, you got Birchman Baptist Church, and they're not on Birchman Street anymore. If you go down 30, Christ Chapel is where Birchman Baptist used to be. 
And Birchman Baptist, when they moved out to the intersection of 820 and 30 and they sold their property to Christ Chapel, one of their deacons made sure they didn't charge any interest. Based on the Mosaic Law, you're not supposed to charge interest to a brother. And so when Birchman sold that property to Christ Chapel, they allowed Christ Chapel to pay, pay them back for it with no interest. Now isn't that a, just a, a little bit of a different way to live than the way the world lives? But Jesus actually, and I don't want to be down on them, that was a really gracious and generous and good thing they did. I mean, you're talking Baptist and Bible church. I mean, it was practically Catholic, you know. But Jesus is actually calling us to something greater than that even. Lend expecting nothing in return. Give not ever expecting them to pay you back. That's radical. That's crazy. You can't do that very long without going bankrupt. And yet, he doesn't say that. He just says, lend, expecting nothing in return. But that's not where it ends. Notice what he says right after that. And your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. No, he said something similar in verse 23. Be glad in that day when you're suffering and struggling. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Jesus told us our reward was going to be great in heaven if we experienced suffering because of His name. And now He's saying, you know, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, lend not expecting to get anything back in return. And you might not get that loan back. You not, might not get those things that you gave your neighbor who uh, needed help, and so you gave it to them. And you never get anything back. But Jesus is saying, no, your reward is great. It will be great. Not only that, you will be called sons of the Most High. It's a very poetic way of saying it. You'll be called sons of God. You'll be called children of God. You will be doing those things that uh, connect you and make you have a, a, a familial appearance of God. He concludes this passage in verse 36 by saying, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And that's the kicker. That's why He's telling them to love their enemies, and that's why He's telling them to, to do good to those who hate you, and to uh, if somebody takes your coat, give them your shirt also. If somebody curses you, that you're to bless them. If somebody strikes you, you, you turn the other cheek to them. You don't try to strike them back. You don't even try to defend yourself. That we should love our enemies and, and, and lend without ever expecting anything in return. We should be givers. We should be generous. We should be helping people. Not just those who are in the church. Not just those who look like us, but specifically even those that are different than us. I mean, he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people who were being abused and mistreated by the Romans. The idea is if a Roman asks you for money, lend. Don't expect anything in return. Because that's what God does to us. That's what God does to the world. That's how God treats everybody. And if we're going to live for Jesus, we're going to live like Him. 
And this is the way God lives. And, and so what Jesus is calling us to do, in, 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 in spite of experiencing suffering and, and dealing with evil and how people treat us, Jesus is calling us to live like God. And so I, I, I want you to consider... Are there areas in your life right now where you're not living like God? Where you don't love your enemies? You don't want to do good to those who mistreat you? Christians need to not be so worried about this world. About how we're going to stand in this world, how we're going to get by in this world, or how we're going to get ahead especially. If it seems like the wicked are always in control, if it seems like the wicked are always in charge, if it seems like the wicked always have their day, remember that, no, in that day, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For their fathers treated the, the, the prophets the same way. I fear that too much Christian believers in this day and age are trying to respond to the world in the way that the world works. And one of the great things about the world is that the world, the, the, the evil that the world tries to do is, is insustainable. It cannot keep up. It has to collapse on its own. But Jesus is calling us to live differently so that we might be a peculiar people, that we might stand out and be witnesses to who He is. And what He has done in our lives. And we can't do that if we look like the rest of the world. And so that's why He's telling us, you're blessed if you suffer. That's why He tells us that when we experience evil, what He wants us to do is respond with compassion. To love our enemies. To do good to those who hurt us. Because then we're going to be like His Father in Heaven. Then we're going to be living like God. That's a tall order. That's a hard thing to do. Thankfully, He has given us His Spirit that we might experience Him living through us. I want to encourage you, especially uh, in this year, it happens to be an election year. I want to challenge you to love your enemies. To bless those that curse you. To do good to those who hate you. And I want to specifically encourage you to do that to those who are on the other side of the political aisle, whichever side you might be on. And I want to encourage you to do that for those that put signs in their yards that speak out against you. And maybe they're even, it feels like they're hatefully against you. Jesus told us how to respond, and it wasn't hate them back. So I want to challenge us, and I, will, I say us, I'll include myself in this too. Seek this year to love and to live like God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you have loved us and that you have been compassionate to us in the midst of our evil.
and our sin. We pray, Lord, as believers in Jesus, that we would live as you have called us to live, that we would live for Jesus, that we would live with compassion and mercy as you are merciful to us. We pray, Lord, that we would love our enemies, that we would respond to the evil that we experience and the evil that we see with compassion. And Lord, in those areas and those times that is difficult for us, we pray, give us the strength. Give us love, Your love for those other people that we might be compassionate to them, Lord. And help us to recognize that if we suffer here on earth, that that is not a bad thing. That we're blessed because we remember that You suffered here on earth. So Father, keep our eyes on You, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.